Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with the Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald. I'm here again with my my, my handsome co-host, Jay Shaw. We're going to be sitting in just the two of us tonight. Um, it's kind of funny. The, 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 the episode we're going to talk about tonight is, is, is more about property management and kind of handling tenants from the property management perspective. Uh, Brian, I think everyone just tensed up as soon as you said handling yeah. tenants. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a scary. Get a thought. drink. Yeah. Get well, a drink. Get a glass of wine. Everything will be okay. Exactly. And and for Jay and myself, uh, you know, we kind of fell into this role with our with our own properties and managing our own properties, and and uh, Jay as well as myself. You know, people start to ask you questions, and then they end up just saying, "Hey, do you mind just managing this property for me?" And uh, you know, for Jay especially, it's really spun out of control. But in a good way, because now he's got control and, and, and he's managing some properties for some people as well as myself. And we thought, what better way uh, than to share our knowledge and experiences than make it a, an episode, really, right, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, Brian, you hit the nail right on the head. Like, I mean, we kind of fell into this uh, and learned as we went. And I mean, you know, we made mistakes along the way, and that's okay. And, you know, they didn't cost us a lot. But I think really what we wanted to do is put together a bit of a boot camp for, for those of you that are out there self-managing and you know maybe you don't know as much as you think you should know. And what Brian and I did is we kind of put together um, you know a, a bit of a system in terms of kind of how to organize um, your properties, how to set yourself up for success so that you know you're going to be you know that very confident uh, uh, landlord. Exactly. So what I wanted to do, Brian, maybe just I'll kick it off there, is just talk a little bit about the actual property management cycle. And I mean, that's not necessarily, we're not here to pitch property management tonight, but um, really what you want to do is you want to break down your property into four key components in terms of what you're doing. You know, the first and foremost is accounting and bookkeeping. That's the key. That's the very important thing. I mean, we need to make sure... um, you know, the rents are coming in, we're filing the appropriate documents, uh, taxes, those types of things. We'll talk a little bit about that. The second thing we want to talk about is maintenance. The number one issue with tenants and why tenants choose to leave is outstanding maintenance issues. So we're going to talk about how to stand, how to uh, stay on top of that. Um, the third thing, and I think this is the one that really a lot of new investors are really jumpy about, um, is the leasing and vacancy and how to market your property effectively. Because I think starting out, we were the same. Brian, I'm, I'm sure you were like this too when you first started out. You put your ad on Kijiji, you were very excited, and you told everyone, come on down, I'll be there. And you just invited everyone. And now this is you know, not a good idea. And we'll talk a little bit about why that's not a good idea. 
Uh, and then the last is really your property and your account management and how you set things up properly so that you're organized. Um, so, Brian, why don't we kick it off um, in terms of kind of, you know, the steps uh, involved in, in property management and successfully managing your property? Well, yeah, first off, though, I want the four, the four quadrants you're talking about, there's, those are all scary things to begin with. Um, like accounting, bookkeeping, that, that was an area I always dread absolutely dread and same with the like the account management and stuff like that that was something that i had a hard time with at first but now i've got that all under control um but yeah like you said jay we're going to go over these topics that uh will hopefully shed some light for some people and make the uh the big bad landlord not seem so scary after all (laughs) yeah let's just start like before like the the very first step before we even you know head to kijiji or zumper or you know, pad mapper or whatever. Yeah. What's the first thing you need to do, Brian? You got to be rent ready. So let's talk about that. So what are like in terms of, you know, um, you know, what are the steps involved with, you know, rent ready? I think the biggest thing for people um, is the very first thing they want to do when they, when they get the property is I got to post it online. Well, that's probably, that's actually the third thing you have to do. But the first thing you have to do is you have to do a rent ready inspection And from that, what that means, you need to go through the property and you need to look at it not as a property owner, but as a prospective tenant, right? You need to look at the condition of the property and are there things that need to be done to upgrade the property? Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is you want to put your best foot forward as the owner. Because if you're putting your best foot forward, you're casting the net wide to attract the best quality tenants. So I think the biggest thing, you know, that I would always say to potential investors um, you want to ask yourself, not would you live here, but could you live here? And the second thing you want to ask yourself is, would you rent this place in its existing condition? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got as much as you're leasing a property, you got to imagine yourself as trying to sell it. You are in a position of sales at that point in time that you are trying to sell your property to a prospective tenant, right? So you want to make it, like you said, rent ready, but you want to make sure it is at its best condition in order to, like you said, attract the best quality tenant, but also those, those types of things that you make the improvements and, and where you actually make the effort to make the property as best it can be, can actually help you acquire higher rents than the average, you know, rental may be a few doors down. So you're absolutely right. You've got to make it ready. Uh, it's got to look good. And, and you're selling a product at this, t- at this point. When you're about to put on Kijiji, you are now in the salesperson position. So I think like other things too, Brian, like, I mean, you know, you've, you've fixed up your fair share of properties, right? If you're, you know, going in and you have, you know, paint peeling or shag carpets or, you know, loose door handles or loose railings, it doesn't really put that best, best foot forward. So I think step one, really go through, do that rent ready inspection and ask yourself the tough question, right? Don't cut corners, right? Cause at the end of the day, you know, if you put a subpar property on the market, guess what you're going to get? Yep, subpar tenant. You're going to get a subpar tenant, and that's going to set you up for just issues after issues after issues. Yeah. So that's the first thing that we uh, that we recommend that uh, you know that our clients do when we when we uh, sit with them is just make sure that it's rent ready. And again, we're not even at the point where we're posting the property. Yeah, and by rent ready for for if. 
if you're not grasping the picture yet. We're talking about like making sure the walls look good. Like Jay said, you don't want paint peeling. You want nice appliances. You don't want grease stains, you know, all over your, your appliances, um, flooring, uh, stuff like that, lighting. You know, you don't want a dark, dingy place, especially, you know, uh, the properties that come to, I know I'm jumping the gun here, but like uh, lower uh, legal basement conversions. Those areas can typically be dark. Um, do, do your due diligence, put some proper lighting in there, make it look light and bright and make people real think that they're not actually in a basement. That's, that's an experience I've had a few times. So now I put lots of nice lights in there. I think the other piece to that too, people come through and they're like, wow, it doesn't even feel like I'm in a basement. That's when you know that you've done, you've done a good job. So like Brian says, absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, add the value there and you'll, you'll get it back in terms of getting the right tenants. Yeah. And just like selling a house too, you know, everybody talks about kitchens and bathrooms. It's the same thing with a rental. It's, it's, it's really the same thing. They, people want nice things now. And I mean, that's what you've got to give them in order to ask for the rents that people are paying. So make sure that, you know, you're not cutting corners, put out a good product. Um, you know, one of the big things that I know Jay and I have talked about this before is clients that we work with, you know, they spend a lot of money putting in a nice product. And then when it comes to appliances, they go and get, you know, like white cheap appliances. It's like, listen, spend a few extra hundred dollars. You'll make that few extra hundred dollars back probably within a year, year and a half, because you can actually charge, you know, 50 or more dollars per month just because they're stainless steel appliances. People want nice things. Give them nice things so you can charge them nice rents. All right. All right. What's next, what's next? Brian? I don't know. I That's lost. my line. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, maintenance. Maintenance. We talked about that briefly. Um, you know, what's what's maintenance to you, Jay? Um, well, I think, like, I mean, once you're done your rent-ready inspection, you're likely going to have some things where you're going to have to get them um, you know, taken care of, right? And that for that, I always say generate a task list. I call it a punch list of things that you need someone to do and go out and hire a qualified handyman. This is going to be the biggest uh, and most important trade that you're going to have in terms of your your clients, right, is that having that important handyman that can get out there and deal with all of the uh, potential issues that you have. So for that, you really want to make sure that you're going out there addressing all the issues. And secondly, if you've never dealt with this particular uh, trade, you need to go out and either A, inspect the work, or B, have that trade, send pictures of the work before you're sending that uh, individual money. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, The qualified handyman is key. They are kind of like the glue that holds all your bones together. Not that glue holds bones together, but you know what I'm trying to say. But what's important with the handyman too is that one, they're reliable. You can count on them. Like I know Jay has has his, and I have mine. I've had guys, you know, show up on Thanksgiving weekend to fix a, a broken hot water tank. You know, that guy to me is reliable. He's trustworthy, and and he's the guy that I'm going to call next. Another way I actually kind of vouch for my handyman is I I usually have a pretty good relationship with my tenants. I reach out to my tenants and say, how was it? You know, like. Was he good? Was he nice? Did he do a good job? Did he leave clean? And and if my tenants are happy, then more often than not, I'm happy. And you know, it's it, it's a good communication to help you vouch for your handyman. Yeah, that's that's a great point, right? In terms of uh, in terms of asking those questions, right? Because then at the end of the day, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, is having that important communication with your with your tenants. Um, you know, they want to be asked their opinion, right? And at the end of the day, you don't want them 
coming to you, right? I mean, we had an issue with one of our trades. They left a big mess and very uncharacteristic of the trade. And, you know, we wouldn't have known unless we reached out to our tenant. And he was like, you know, I appreciate you getting him there so quickly. However, he left this big mess and, like, I, you know, am I supposed to clean it up? And, like, no, that shouldn't have happened. I'm really sorry. We'll deal with it. And we dealt with it, right? And, I mean, the, the, the trade, you know, he felt bad and, and he apologized profusely. He went back, he cleaned it up. Yeah, it comes down to professionalism, right? So, I mean, if they own up to it, then, you know, there can be a second chance issued there. And if if it, if the, if that kind of um, behavior continues, then you have to have a serious conversation. When do we get to talk about hiring and firing people? <laughs> we'll, save, we'll save that. We'll save right. that. It's coming cool. up there. All right, cool. All right. I think, Brian, I think you should go to step three because this is the one that everyone has been itching to do. The, you know, in their mind, it's the number one thing that they do, and they've been waiting. They're like, they've just closed on the property. They're like, oh my god, oh my god, I got to, got to what? Property market. You got to market List. the property. Oh my goodness, get me to Kijiji fast. No, you know what? And and there's there's multiple you know multiple parts to to marketing your property though. I mean, everybody wants new photos, and I highly encourage you get you know take professional photos if you have to. Again, you're you're selling the house, even though you're just going to rent it out you are selling a product. So get your new photos, um, get them professionally done if you want to. I mean, for 150 bucks, you can get some top top shelf photos. Um, some people go as far as walkthrough videos. Um, not something I particularly do, but I don't think it's a bad idea. Rental market comparables is also another good one. Um, but one of the big ones, and something I have a hard time with, I don't know about you, Jay, but I wanna make it right is, is the ad that I write up about the property. I find, um, you know, it, you can sell something, but I found that the most um, effective ad that I can write is I really describe the property as if I'm living in it myself. And I know that might sound a little cheesy, but uh, I found it to be the most effective. You've got to list the amenities nearby. Don't just say close to all amenities. Tell me what's there. Tell me what schools are there. Because if you're trying to appeal to a family, they want to know what schools are there. Or if it's close to a certain intersection or a certain industry, tell them that. Because somebody might be having a job around the corner that it's, oh, you know, it's perfect. It's five minutes from work. This is great. So really, really pound the pavement when it comes to writing your ad. What do you do, Jay? Yeah, like I agree with you, Brian. I think the biggest thing, just building on what you said, you want to paint a picture, right? Because at the end of the day, this is your marketing, right? And everyone thinks it's like, okay, you know, you want to paint a picture, right? And I think the other thing, and we talk about this uh, as well with our clients, is that think about, for those of you that have fallen into one of those many funnels, those drip campaigns, the email marketing, um, you know, w- what causes you to open an email, right, on, on these campaigns? And for a lot of people, it's the subject, right? So think about, you know, Kijiji or, you know, PadMap or whatever. Think about it this way. Are you going to open the ad that basically says, um, you know, three bedroom main floor unit, or are you gonna, you know, uh, are you gonna open the ad that says, you know, home sweet home in the North End, or you know, um, East Mountain Gem, or, or what have you, right? You want to paint that picture. You want people because buying and renting a property, it's about emotional triggers. It's an emotional experience. You want to paint that picture, and like Brian says, you want to spend some time, right? We've just bought this three hundred or four hundred thousand dollar asset. And people are whipping off ads in like, you know, two minutes, right? Spend 30 minutes. Do many iterations. Talk about what it has, 
go back to the listing, talk about what it has, and then add to it, right? You know, bring your bring your spouse involved into it. You know, what's going to help me, you know, sell or rent this property, right? Talk about that and then add things in there that are going to appeal to people. You know, fence, private fenced rear yard, that appeals to people with children, right? Quiet street. Like no one, you know, if it's, you know, but also the other thing is talk about the limitations of the property. What if there's lots of stairs? It's like get your, you know, get your workout by doing all these stairs, right? You know, <laughs> people read that, right? And people respect that. You know, maybe maybe not always because when they get there, they're like, oh, it's not the whole house. It's like, no, it actually says that in the first line yeah, of the ad. First line. It's always <laughs> there, yeah. Or is this still available? Yes, I just posted it three minutes ago. It's still yeah, available. exactly. I posted it three minutes ago. Someone someone came. Yeah. The uh, the write up ad you're, uh, that we were talking about, Jay, when you said take thirty minutes, it's true because as much as I'm a, an advocate of writing a good ad, the thing is, is if you're going to hold on to that property for you know years and years to come, and when you have a tenant turnover save that ad if it's well written you can probably use it again later and you say yep. that 30 minutes ends up saving you hours every you know few years when you have a turnover of tenants yeah absolutely and, and just going back to kind of the the photos right photos are key right and i think like brian you, you talked about professional photos and i'm sure there's some people there that would scoff at this but remember this you're running a business now right you're not just like landlord isn't you know landlording isn't just fun right it's a business so if you think about it, people would be like, why would I spend $150? Well, you know what? Spend the $150 now, and you can use those photos over and over and over again, number one. Number two, it's now a business expense. You can write that off. And if you want, and if you're scoffing at the $150, bucks, why do not you find someone who's brand new into the industry looking to get their feet wet on Kijiji or, or Facebook or whatever and be like, hey, will you do it for 100 And guess what? There'll be people that will do it for 100 Yeah. And again, $150 people for a one-time shot, like Jay said, you reuse those pictures down the road because guess what? When the tenants, you know, turn over three years from now, the place doesn't look as good because maybe their furniture isn't as nice, but you've got professional pictures that paint the picture for the people that are going to be coming into the place. And it's $150, yet you're going to be charging whatever you're charging, you know, a thousand, yep. some places, two thousand dollars a month for rent. That could be one month of cash flow too. Yeah. Like if you think about it's, it, that hundred fifty yeah. bucks. Like hopefully you're making more than hundred fifty bucks. Yeah. And again, like you said, you touched on before. You know, you just bought a four hundred thousand dollar house. We're talking about a hundred and fifty dollars, people. Hundred and fifty. It's a yeah. drop in the bucket. Yeah. No, absolutely. Getting fired up. Um, so just a couple, a couple things I wanted to touch on. I mean, we talked a little bit about the walkthrough videos, and I think people are like, "Well, I don't have. I just have one property. I don't need to do that." Right. But I think the other thing too is that uh, Kijiji is more, they're more um, inclined in allowing you to add, upload YouTube videos to their platform. And I think like, if you think about it, these videos don't have to be professional by any means. I think like, and we've started to do these with some of our listings is that just your, you know, simple, you know, iPhone video where it's like you're, you're standing at the, you know, sidewalk and you introduce yourself and I'm, I'm here at uh, this property located at, you know, one, two, three Main Street, and, you know, we want to take you on a quick video tour. And I think, again, you're trying to visualize, you're trying to paint the picture, right? And, and people aren't expecting, like, you know, the, you know, the elevator music and the, you know, the quick frames, right? They're, they want they want to walk in, they want to see, okay, like, that's the living room. Wow, there's lots of light in there, right? And the kitchen, wow, that's really open and clean. And I can picture my, you know, I can picture my uh, kids sitting at the island while I'm making dinner, right? 
So, I mean, it's not for everyone, and I'm not advocating for everyone to go to YouTube and, you know, have a YouTube video of their property, but it's certainly something to consider for sure. It, it probably won't hurt you. You're right. Give it a try. If it's not for you, it's not for you. That's that's totally fine, right? Yep. Uh, I personally just want to see, uh, you know, Brian with uh, one of those selfie sticks. <laughs> I bought you one. Front door. Oh, I bought I just you one. Hit the front door. That's... <laughs> And and when we were talking about places to uh, advertise, this is something I mentioned to you, Jay, not that long ago. Um, a lot of people use Kijiji, Craigslist, uh, view it. You know, there's there's a, a bunch of sites out there. Lately, if I, I've actually been putting a lot of my rental ads on Facebook, on the Facebook marketplace. Um, the traction, you know, on Kijiji, you can see how many people have viewed it, you know, 100, 200, 300. We're talking like hundreds and hundreds on Facebook. Um, and it, and it's been quite receptive in my opinion for the last few properties we filled, um, Facebook. And the thing is people can message you and you immediately can see their profile. And I mean, that's part of your screening process, which I'm sure we'll touch about, uh, later on, but keep that in mind for the future. Facebook marketplace is a really great place to advertise your property as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, because, I mean, we have uh, people listening from all over the place, right? Um, it's not cookie cutter, right? Like what, what works in, you know, Hamilton or Niagara may not work in Toronto. It may not work out west, right? It may not work uh, in eastern Canada, right? So I think the biggest thing is, is test, right? And if it's if you're getting results, keep doing it, right? And if you're not getting the results, then you need to, you know, test and measure, right? And don't be afraid that if you're not getting those results to, to move on to, to other things, right? So, I mean, these are just, you know, like Brian Rent mentioned a few. Um, but, I mean, for us, we found Kijiji um, has always been the top. Facebook is, is a contender. The other one is PadMapper. It's more of a U.S.-based one, but it's it's slowly pushing into Canada. Um, Brian, what, what are your thoughts on MLS? Have you posted any of your rentals on uh, the multiple listing service? Uh, I, I Personally, I have not done any of my own properties that way. Um, that would be more my, um, I'd say my, my, my escape route, if things weren't panning out on Kijiji or Facebook or, or something like PadMapper, like you said, it would probably be my last resort, to be honest. Um, I find more people are looking for rentals, not that they're not, because I, I work with clients that look for rentals through an agent, but I find most people are actually going through these online based platforms. Personally. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. do you? No, I, I haven't. Um, we haven't had to just because we, we get a, a pretty steady stream um, of leads from uh, from Kijiji. Um, we haven't, we've posted on Facebook. We haven't got a lot of uh, quality leads, but I mean, I think it is getting better. I think that's, uh, yeah. you know, you, but I mean, that's good because I mean, um, you know, as we, as we tend to creep people um, online, see what they look like, uh, and kind of their background. You can tell a lot from what people post on Facebook and yeah. just the pictures they have online, right? It's, it's quite fascinating. So see the, I don't know if you remember this, this is a few going back a few years though. Kijiji, when somebody would message you through Kijiji, it would have their email address, like their actual email address. Now Kijiji scrambles it, you know, it's oh, like, do they? yeah, it's a whole bunch of letters and, and now it's harder for you to actually like type in their email in some other social media platform to look them up that's oh, why i like it. facebook they're literally like giving me a glimpse into who they are nice yeah uh, so where are we at um well i mean we've just we've marketed the property we've probably got uh 
you know, about 10 emails already that says, hi, is it still available? Because <laughs> that's always the first email, right? Which yeah. I think is probably the most redundant email yep. that any tenant can send. But, um, but anyways, um, I think the next one is really showing, showing the, showing the setting up a viewing, right? Um, so Brian, talk, talk a little bit about kind of, you know, how you set up your, your showings. Um, what you bring to the showings. Well, typically, and touching back on our online uh, online based ads, um, part of my showing um, checklist is actually having them answer a couple questions through the ad just to see if they read the ad and see how far they get. Sometimes people just look at pictures and, and just send you a message. But personally, I set up a time uh, because I believe my time is valuable, as I'm sure you do, Jay, that yep. um, I now will have people, you know, message me, let's say Monday, and they say they want to uh, see the place on Friday. Well, that's four days away, right? And I know things change, things happen. So I have them, I put the ball in their court, and I tell them on Friday morning, you message me to say that you're still confirmed to come. And if I don't hear anything from them, I'm not going to make the, the trek out to that property unless yep. I hear from them otherwise. I found that's been really effective in, in, in not wasting my time because... Uh, my, I'd say my batting average on Kijiji would be at best, sometimes 50%. I I know we've joked about this, that, you know, Hey, I had four for four today. Like, that's amazing. So that's one of the things I do with, uh, with my showings is that I kind of verify that they're firstly going to show up, excuse me. But when I actually get to the property, I give them a tour. I kind of give them the lay of the land. I tell them a little bit about the lease structure and uh, I tell them if if they're interested, send me your email address or fill out the uh, the sign in sheet, and I'll send them an application and kind of go from there. And I ask them some questions, you know, where do you work? What do you do? Where are you living now? Uh, why are you leaving? You know, it's, I need to get a picture of these people right before I, I I consider putting them in one of my properties. Yeah, no, absolutely, Brian. Let's take a couple steps back just because I think the biggest thing before we even get people to the property and you kind of touch a little bit about it is getting these people on the phone, right? Because I mean, anyone like, and I mean, this happens to us all the time. And I mean, going back to your point about, you know, the show rate on Kijiji, it really is about 50%, right? And I mean, there's no rhyme or reason for it. Don't ask me why it's like that or why it's not like that. But I mean, that's, that's kind of the straight goods that it's usually about 50%. But I think the biggest thing you have to do is get people on the phone. And once you get people on the phone, that's when you really start to learn a lot of things about people. Like you don't want to invite everyone to your house uh, for a showing without screening them, you know, especially if it's a vacant home, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're not there and you're only checking on the property every couple of days and they come and see it and maybe they're not the highest quality of caliber, um, they now know that uh, it's a vacant home. We once had people come and we screened them and they came and it was a vacant home, and we were doing a renovation on it. And they were basically eyeing up all the all the uh, brand new appliances that were sitting in the living room. Hmm. And I was the next day. I called the contractors. I'm like, get those out of the front window. Like, just move them. Yeah. So for sure. Um, so I think really what I do, Brian, just like when I get people on the phone, um, like you, I'm asking them a few questions, right? So what I would say to people listening, grab a grab a pen and a piece of paper, and I'll give you kind of the straight. Um, I'll give you kind of, you know, four or five questions you can ask people. So, um, you know, first question, number one, is um, when are you looking to move for? 
I think that's that's the first and foremost because that's going to set the tone, right? And I mean, right now we're in February. I'm starting to get calls and emails, Brian. I'm sure you are as well for people that are looking for May, right? Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't hold the house for you for three months. Is it? And I tell them flat out, I'm like, listen, we're filling for March. Um, you know, if you can't move until May, I'm sorry, I can't hold the house for you. Because there's no point in going through all these screening questions if we know it's not going to work, right? So number one, figure out why they're looking, what, <clears throat> excuse me, when they're looking to move. Secondly, ask them, like you, like you said, Brian, why are they looking to move, right? And I had another person call me the other day, and I asked, I got to that question, and I heard hemming and hawing, and then they hung up. <laughs> <laughs> tough so question. It pretty, yeah, tough it was question. a pretty tough question. So it was uh, it was quite comical, right? But I mean, ask those questions, right? You'd be surprised what people tell you. Like as Canadians, we're always very polite. Well, like this is an asset. This is your four hundred thousand dollar asset. Ask them that question. Number three, how many people are looking to move into the property? You know, if you're renting out a three bedroom main floor unit or a two bedroom basement unit, and you have five people moving in, is that a lot of people? It's a little tight, a little tight. It's a little tight, right? I'm sure they could put you know, mattresses in the living room, right? Yeah, I'm not comfortable right? with that, though. I know there's people that are okay with that. That's not not, not cool for me. I don't like that. Yep, no, absolutely. Um, and then what I always do is you want to ask them, so, I mean, you can ask it one of two ways. So you want to figure out how they're going to pay the rent, right? So their source of income. So the best way that I've figured out how to do this is remember you're having these you're asking these questions in a conversational tone so like like Brian and I are talking right so you're not going to ask them number of expected occupants and name and age for each when is your preferred move-in date like you're not like a robot right no, no. so ask them in a conversational tone so Brian what do you do for work right as opposed to me saying Brian what is your source of income yeah right so like we're talking like two buddies, right? What do you do for work? And then they'll tell you, right? That then loosens them up a little bit and they may, they may add more things to what they're saying. Right. Yeah. Um, Be human. Be human. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then the other question, and I know a lot of people kind of have reservations about this with pets, right? And I mean, you can't discriminate, you know, with people that have pets, right? So you want to ask the question, right? You don't want to ask, but you want to, it in a very subtle way even if you don't want pets by saying no pets you're immediately taking away 50 percent of your tenants right there so leave it open at the end of the day if you get to an application stage and you have two applicants and one has a pet and one doesn't you can make the choice that's in the best interest for you as as the owner yep. but how you ask the question is this don't ask them as do you have any pets because people tense up right away and they're like, well, do I tell them? Do I not? Ask them the question like it's okay. How many pets do we have? Right? And then they're going to tell you about, you know, Fluffy or, you know, yeah. you know, Bingo or whoever, right? So, and then just tell them, oh, yeah, it's pet friendly. That's fine, right? It I may love, not be I love pet those friendly, names you just came up with you, off the fly. You like those? Yeah, yeah. Fluffy and Dingo. Fluffy the Doberman, right? <laughs> That's awesome. So again, like Brian, you hit the nail on the head, like conversational tone, like two buddies just talking, right? And that's going to get you more answers, right? And then the last piece is really the affordability, right? Setting the tone and setting the stage for what's about to happen next, right? So how I always do it is that Brian, you know, before we book a showing, I just want to walk you through 
our application process if we're going to get to that stage, right? We do look at your credit. We do look at your background. And then from an affordability standpoint, we need to see, and I always put it in yearly dollars. It doesn't matter if you put it in an annual income or monthly income. People will, people will try and figure it out the opposite way, right? So typically we're looking for roughly about three times the rent. So you need to know that number. So if your rent is around 1500 a month, you're at 4500 gross. So that's roughly around 55000 a year. So you want to say, so Brian, from an affordability standpoint, we need to see combined household income of 55000 Are you in that ballpark? Mm-hmm. And they're going to say yes or no. If they say yes, great. Then, then we're going to set up a showing. If they say, well, I'm not, say, I'm, you know, unfortunately, I don't think this is the right fit for you. Yep. Right? Yep. Now, setting, let's talk about setting up the appointment. So, Brian, how do you set up your appointments? Once, once we screen them, they want to, you know, see the property. Absolutely. Like, you know, are they picking the appointment? Are you picking the appointment? What does that look like? Um, more often than not, I give them options because like I said, my time is valuable to me and my family. So I give them options and they can pick one from there. And kind of like what I touched upon before, um, we ask those questions and, uh, on the phone, like you said, Jay, and then once the appointment comes, uh, there's more questions to follow again in a human like conversation, like I'm talking to a friend. Um, I think that's an important part that we've both talked about now uh, of approaching them in a humanly fashion rather than specifically uh, distinguishing yourself as the landlord. So um, once the showing actually happens, I ask a few questions, maybe a little bit more invasive than I had on the phone. Um, and I, I watch their body language. I, I watch their interactions with the place and I kind of... And I'll be honest, Jay, a lot of times while questions are good, I do use a lot of my gut instincts, I think. I don't know if uh, that's something you do, but I get a, my spidey senses tingle sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, for me, one of the one of the tricks that I always do is I always tell people, I'm like, hey, come on in, take a look around. I'm going to hang out in the kitchen, right? And I what I do is I pull out my phone. And I'm not on my phone but I'm pretending to be on my phone Mm -hmm. because what I'm doing is I'm listening, right? Especially if there's a couple people going through together, you want to hear what they say. And so many people will talk them, you know, will basically talk themselves out of, you know, the apartment. We had one, we had two guys come and they were like, Oh, look at this basement. We can have some sick parties down here, like coming up the stairs. Right. And it was like, okay, I think we're done. Right. Red flag. You know, I also had one where it's like, you know, asking those invasive questions, right? Because like, the other thing you're doing, Brian, you probably do this too, is um, you, you're basically, you know, making sure that the, the, the answers match from what they've told you. So if you have three people, you kind of you remember a little bit about each, right? So like we had one, actually my, uh, my brother-in-law, Kevin, you know, he's been on the podcast before. He, he actually did this one where uh, he, asked the, uh, he asked the tenant, like why are you looking to move and the guy just unloaded oh my landlord we're taking him to the board and blah 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 and he was like okay i think we're done here yeah right yeah and it's like wow right like the guy and he was like he was like they were actually pretty good until that happened (laughs) so i mean you know you want to prod right and i think like the other thing is like your gut's an important factor but it's not the only factor right and we'll talk about the other tools that we're going to use in terms of kind of you know, setting, setting all those things up. 
Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so so we've got basically, you know, we've done the showing. You know, people are interested. Um, we've, um, you know, and then basically we're getting into an application stage. So, um, you know, so I think there's a few different. Um, you know, companies out there that you can you can get to do these. Uh, you know, for those of you that are still using, you know, the Aria Form 410, the paper-based applications, uh, I do have a, a you know a message for you. This is going to blow your mind. It's, it's 2019. We might have to go to the internet now, so we may have to recycle those, right? Yeah. You know, put those out to pastures. Um, you know, we need to move to to electronic-based uh, applications, right? Um, for a couple different reasons and number one is that you don't want you like I mean you don't want to be you know having to chase people for an application right is it giving them a paper one having them fill it out there there's a lot more information that we need now number two you do not do not do not do not do not ever accept a credit report from a prospective tenant no do not no there's so many horror stories of this if you want, Google this after the podcast you listen to. Google fake Equifax credit report. You, there's a website online. It's free, and you can make your own Equifax credit report. That's comforting. And people eh? do that. There's actually companies in the Toronto area. There's people, I don't want to call them companies. That's probably the wrong yeah, adjective to use, where if you would pay a 50 or or $100, you can get, you know, someone will make it for you, right? So do not, do not, do not do that. And they are prevalent and people are making fake credit reports. Yeah. So always do your own homework. Always do it. Yeah, yourself. absolutely. Don't be absolutely, lazy. Right. Don't be lazy. So there are companies out there that provide it. So, I mean, there are a few that, uh, that do it. So one, uh, one is tenant verification services. So it's tenant verification.ca. The other one is, uh, tenant check or rent check. That's another good one. Um, the one we use is a company called uh, Neighborly, so it's n a b o r l y dot com. Brian, I think you're using them as well. Yeah, I love them. I love. Yeah, them. they're yeah. fantastic. And uh, Jerome's going to be coming on the podcast here. He's with Neighborly the next few weeks, so we're going to have him on there, and he'll talk a little bit more about it. But what you what you need uh, as part of this, and I mean, the reason we use Neighborly is you can upload everything, right? Is that uh, you, you can upload, you know, copy for photo ID. We've got to, you know, verify your identity to make sure that, you know, you're actually Brian Fitzgerald. And number two, you know, your proof of income, right? Make sure that you do make that fifty-five thousand or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So those are the two biggies there that we want to make sure that uh, that we're doing. Neighborly so, is also very thorough, um, which is great for you as the potential landlord, where you can actually paint a really good, clear picture of your prospective tenant. But I also, we talked about filters on this episode and previous kind of uh, episodes about filtering through tenant profiles and tenant applications. Um, if you have somebody that is willing to jump through the hoops like neighborly, not to say it's you know daunting, but it is thorough. If they're willing to jump through the hoops to do the neighborly application, to me, that's a good sign that they're motivated and, and that they're really interested in your property. So another filtering process that I like about neighborly. Yeah. And I think the other thing is you get a lot of people be like, Oh, it's so invasive. And they ask me so many questions. It's like, well, sorry, this is your asset, right? This is your $400,000 asset. It's like, if you want to live here, you know, that's the cost, right? If you don't, then, then that's fine too. And we've told people, like we've had people, they're like, I'm like, so should we expect an application? And they're like, Oh, it, it asked me too many questions. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. 
so you're not doing it? No. Like, okay, best of luck. They're like, well, I still want the place. I'm like, that's nice. (laughs) Fill out the application and then we'll talk. So at the end of the day, like the onus is on them, right? So. And even if they're, you know, like a clean cut gentleman, super polite, and they, you know, hand you a fistful of cash to, you know, skip past the application, don't do it. You will oh, yeah, regret absolutely. it. Absolutely, don't, don't, don't. We've all been, we've all had that waved in yep. front of us. Oh, for sure. It only ends one one way. Yep. No, it's never, it's never ended well. I'll tell you that much. How about that? That that. So I just want to go quickly over the rental application. I mean, yeah. Uh, just just quickly, like so. Once you do get the application, you still need to verify everything that's on there, right? So I mean, the biggest thing is, you want to you want to verify their employment. I think the biggest thing you want to do is whatever the company is, whatever phone number they give you, do not call that phone number. Google the company name and phone the main line. Make sure you ask to speak with the HR department and verify that you know Brian Fitzgerald works at this pro- at this uh, company and see how much information they can give you. You always want to do that. You always want to phone the main line. The second thing you want to do with regards to landlord references, and I know a lot of people don't always phone them, don't phone the first landlord. Phone the second landlord. The reason I say that is that if you are about to inherit the tenant from you know where, do you honestly think that you're going to get a good reference from the first landlord? Yeah. You're going to get a glowing reference from the first landlord because, you know, he or she wants him or her out of their property. Yeah. You're not so going to have call- the current landlord say, I hate them. Please take them from me. Yeah, they will. Yeah, exactly. No one is going to say that. But the second one will give you the straight goods for sure. Exactly. So, yeah. anyways, just just a quick tip. Yeah, yeah a quick no, tip a great, there. That's a great tip, actually. That's a great yeah. tip. All right, let's let's jump to lease signing, Brian. Oh, this is the fun one. Yep. So we talk. I I usually talk about you know certain properties that I have, whether they're single family or uh, duplexes. My leases are slightly different for each type of property. I usually go over, um, if people seem interested and they have questions, I start going over the lease a little bit even before the application just so that they don't have any surprises. So that's one of the things I touch upon kind of earlier on if people are interested. Yeah. What, uh, have you gone through the new standard lease yet, Brian? I sure have. It's yep. a beauty. Yeah, lots of, uh, lots of pages there. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, just uh, the process with that. So. Yeah, so the uh, Ontario government was kind enough to uh, provide us with an Ontario standard lease that uh, is mandatory to be used. Um, otherwise, you can get uh, your hand slapped for um, using it, or not using it, rather. And it goes over a bunch of the rules, which is good. Um, a lot of the clarification for some landlords that might not know some of the rules, but it also gives some information to the tenants as well as to their rights when it comes to certain things. Um, but there is an area too where you can add, I guess, your own kind of conditions, which ne- not all of them will necessarily hold up in the tribunal. So you really do have to know your Residential Tenancies Act. Um, don't put all your faith in the lease itself. You got to know your, you got to know your homework too, though. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with the new standard lease is a lot of people think that that is like the be all end all, right? And they, you know, they're like, okay, that's fine. I'll just use that, and that's it. Well, the standard lease is just a, a template. It's just the shell. It's just the very bare bones, basic um, lease. It's incredibly important for you to have an addendum to that. And um, you know, we have an uh, an addendum 
that we add to ours, and that has all of the rules and regulations that we had in our previous lease, right? Like, you know, for example, how utilities work, how parking works, uh, you know, whether they need to have tenant insurance, what type of tenant insurance they need to have, um, you know, rules with regards to, uh, you know, maintenance requests, all of those things. You need to have a separate addendum for those things, right? Because if not, then it's very basic, how rent is to be paid, when rent is to be paid, all of those things, right? So what I what I always recommend people uh, to do is to spend some money, go see a paralegal, and draft an addendum. Again, you're only doing this once, and you want to make sure that uh, you know you you are protecting yourself because at the end of the day, this is all about risk mitigation. Yep, and and we should touch upon too, you know, that you want to review each clause, like you said, Jay, in the lease agreement in full, like for yourself, for your own knowledge, what your actual lease says but also make sure that the tenant understands it as well. And then initialing each page, signing the actual lease is also very important. And, um, you, uh, you know, another important part is collecting, uh, collecting the deposit to, to secure that unit and to secure that rental. First and last month's rent needs to be in certified funds. And by that, it needs to be in a bank draft. And the most important reason for that is do not, do not, do not collect it in the form of a check and then give them keys. Because if you give them keys and you don't have certified funds and that check bounces, guess what? Mm-hmm. You're in for a long ride because once they're in, in Ontario, it's hard to get them out. So you need to be collecting that money either in the form of a bank draft or in the form of an email money transfer. So that money is in your account, and it's basically, it's there and it's liquid. What about cash, Jay? Uh, you can collect it in cash. I mean, we don't handle cash. Um, and I'll, I can talk to you a little bit about how we collect rent, but um, if someone wants to, you know, show up with cash, I mean, that's, that's you know, I can kind of talk a little bit about how we do that. So um, anyways, let, let's actually, let's jump to that. Let's talk about collecting rent. So Brian... How do you collect rent from your tenants? Most this of them. Is step eight. Most of them do e-transfers. For yeah, me. absolutely. I, I I like setting it up that way. Yeah, so that's that's seems to be the most popular way. So as opposed to, um, you know, trying to fight it. Like I know we still have, I think we have one, one maybe two tenants that uh, you know want to pay by post dated checks, right? And they offer to give this side. Like you can't, yeah, you, you can't, can't mandate recruit, them yeah, to exactly. to give us checks. Um, but you know, so, but for the most part, the most popular way is by email money transfer. Um, you know, so I mean, essentially, you know, ways to pay and collect. I mean, that's, that's the most popular. We have a few that do uh, direct deposit. So we set up a pre-authorized transfer from their account to our account. And as long as it hits our account on the first, then rent's paid on time. Yep. Post-dated checks are fine. Um, now cash, I talked a little bit about that. So it's like, we've had... A few people that want that they insist they want to pay on cash. That's fine. They can pay in cash. But remember, it's not your job as the landlord to run around and collect the rent. So we tell you know these people that want to pay cash that we say, great, that's great. You want to pay cash? We here's here's our uh, pad form, our pre-authorized uh, uh, like our void check. Go to this bank. Here's the account number. You can deposit it into this account because anyone can deposit into a bank account. So that's how we've gotten around with it. And, you know, at the end of the day, under the landlord te- or under the Residential Tenancies Act, you are not obligated to drive around and collect the rent. Yep. The tenant has to pay you 
on or before the first of the month. All right, step nine. Let's get into uh, this. Is kind of where you were talking about Brian about uh, bookkeeping and filing. Shiver, shivers up my spine. Already. Yep. So I think the biggest thing with this is whatever way you do it, whether you're old school and doing paper based or whether you're electronic, just just set it up properly. And just you know, I mean, keep it that way, right? Is that um, you know, and just have a system that works for you. So the best way that we've set it up is we set it up using color-coded files. So basically we have one big file and within the file we have four uh, colored folders. So we have yellow, red, green, and blue. So our yellow file, that's our tenant file. So that's got our rental applications in there and the credit reports or neighborly report that we talked about. We've got a contact information form about, you know, name, email address, um, phone number, emergency contact. We have a copy of the signed lease agreement. We have our move-in, move-out inspections. And then we have any and all tenant correspondence. So, like, I mean, uh, if there's any LTV filing, certificates of service, that's all in there. So that's basically our tenant file. Um, Our next one is our property file. So we have in there, it's basically uh, lockbox code, um, contact list for any neighbors, um, if there's warranties or, or owner's manuals, we have that in there. And then a, we also have a log for uh, preventative maintenance and inspections. So every year, for example, we get our, our furnace inspected and serviced. We have a copy of that inspection in there. So that's important. So you want to have those there. And again, talking about this is more the paper-based system, but you can do the same thing with regards to um, um, on, on electronically as well. Uh, green file is your accounting file, so that's got everything with regards to utility bills, advertising costs, any monthly expenses directly related to the property, uh, and then your yearly rent receipts if they're asking for them. And then last but not least, your blue file is your legal file. So that's got your agreement of purchase and sale when you bought it, the appraisal, mortgage documents, uh, your home inspection, um, and any and all due diligence or closing documents. So those are all important to have. I mean, you may not have to pull them, but at least know where they are and have them, um, you know, have them in, in uh, handy. Yeah, keeping your systems organized makes the world a much better place. And this is actually, yeah, this is a, a system that I was using a little while ago. Now I'm kind of going more electronically because I, I don't know, I like paper still a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we have both, right? So we do, we have a paper system and then we have everything scanned and we're, we're slowly getting to that electronic in the cloud, but I mean, we, we started paper, right? So, I mean, it's whatever you're comfortable with. Some people are old school, some people are, are hipsters. So, I mean, whatever works, but as long as you have it, make sure you have it so that you can pull them regularly. All right, step All right, 10. Brian, let's, let's move it. Yeah, let's move into maintenance. What do you, uh, talk to us a little bit about kind of what you're doing there. Uh, step 10, we're talking about routine inspections and maintenance. So this is basically managing the property itself, like from a physical aspect, you know, you want to do your monthly exterior checks, you know, make sure your roof's in good shape because this is, this is where people sometimes get lazy and they want to keep the money in the bank, but let's keep, keep in mind that this is, this is an asset that you want to take care of and nourish and make it grow and flourish. That that rhymes actually, and I didn't mean that. Um, But you want to check your shingles, uh, making sure the exterior of the property is in good shape. Foundation is always a big thing. Um, the biggest 
issue I find on a lot of properties is grading and um, drainage at certain parts of the uh, certain parts of the home. So you definitely don't want to make sure you do your due diligence on checking the physical um, structure of the building outside and inside, and making sure it's it's safe, it's clean, and uh, that and it's going to last. Because if you're not taking care of your properties, you're not taking care of your tenants, and you're going to have issues down the road. And then I know there's, you know, um, your uh, your checks that you do every, you know, some people do them every three months, some people do them every six months, but um, <clears throat> excuse me, your smoke and seal alarms, you want to make sure those are working. You would change your change your batteries. You know when the clocks change. Furnace filters is a big one, especially any houses with pets. Make sure those are getting changed. Depending on how many pets are in a property, I've got one property that I'd say I change it every two months. Um, sometimes we change them every three to four months, but it depends on the uh, on the tenants and their little furry pets that they have inside. Again, making the place safe. Make sure handrails, um, you know, uh, areas aren't pooling with water. No ice problems or you know ice damming on the roof. Certain things like that. Making sure basically that the the place is in good solid shape. And uh, I couldn't encourage this more. Coming from uh, excuse me. A construction background and making sure that the place is in good solid condition i think the biggest thing there is brian fetters off there i think the biggest thing is you want to be proactive and not reactive right so it's like setting up um a proactive maintenance schedule by you know getting your hvac guy in there checking the smoke detectors the furnace filters all of those things because your tenants aren't going to do it and at the end of the day that's a landlord responsibility so putting together a plan to go in there and do it and not you know trying to in October, phoning up your HVAC guy and be like, hey, can you go service, you know, a couple of my houses when he's like right in the middle of his, you know, uh, you know, his own routine maintenance, right? So you've got to plan those things ahead. Like with our HVAC guy, we let him know two months in advance and he blocks us the amount of time that he needs. And we work with him to set up a route and a time. And we, you know, give notice to all of our tenants and, and he just knocks them off, bang, 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 bang. So it's like, plan ahead on these important things because that's that's what's going to happen that's okay. what you're trying to say right Brian? Yeah. yeah sorry i'm better now oh man <laughs> I, that was killing me um no actually that's a really good idea actually blocking off your hvac guy to to take the effort and and actually kind of banging them all out at one time awesome uh step 11 you want to hit 11 jay yeah so i think like the biggest thing is just um you know um, you know, tenant support and communications, right? I think the biggest thing there, and people may, this is where people start to get a little squirrely, right? Is it, you know, it's Sunday afternoon, you're at the park with your family, you're having a great day, and the tenant calls or the tenant texts, and you're like, oh, what's going on? And like, the biggest thing you have to realize is this, right? Don't think of them just as the tenant, think of them as your customer, right? These people are paying 15, 16, maybe, maybe even more to live in your house and they're helping you pay off your mortgage. These people are your most important customer. So when they call, you need to follow up with them promptly. It doesn't have to be within seconds. It doesn't have to be within minutes, but it can't be, you know, it can't be 48 hours, right? You have to follow up with them promptly. We had an issue with a hot water tank um, Saturday. Our tenant called, sent this big long message. You know, they're having issues with the, the hot water. You know, we got back to him with less than an hour. We got back to them. He's like, I'm really sorry for complaining. Well, you're not complaining. You don't have hot water. 
And if you were sitting in your house and you didn't have hot water, it'd be a big deal to you too. So you have to treat their issues as if they're always important. And they are important, right? I mean, if they want you to come and change a light bulb, then that's a different story, right? They can change their own light bulb, right? But remember, you have to follow up promptly with them, right? Deal with their issues, follow up with them, and ensure that work's completed. So for us, we were able to get our HVAC guy out there the next day, right? So I think it was like 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We had the HVAC guy out there the next day. The problem was resolved in less than 24 hours. And his response to us was like, thank you for being on top of this. That's the best compliment you can get as a landlord for, you know, being responsive, being on top of things, right? So make sure that you realize that, you know, maintenance is an issue. And the number one issue, as I said before, with why your tenants are going to leave is maintenance. If you're not on top of it, then they're going to go somewhere else where people are on top of it. Yep, absolutely. I think the other thing, too, and I mean, um, what you want to do is remember, like, this whole mindset of running a business and these are your customers, right? You know, the little simple things of random acts of kindness, right? Like birthday cards. A birthday card you can get printed with Vistaprint, like you can get 100 of them, right? They're probably $20. You know, you don't have to do it, but if you only have a couple properties, send a birthday card. You have it on their application. They just want to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you for being a great, you know, thank you for, you know, contributing to our house, right? Or something like that, right? Same with Christmas gifts, right? Some people are a little leery of that. We've we've done it, uh, you know, for a few years. Where it's like we've you know we've given them a gift card for, you know, whether it's Starbucks, Tim Hortons, you know, um, what else have we done? Uh, a restaurant, right? Um, you know, and just thank you for you know, thank you for being a great tenant. Like thank you for taking such great care of our property, right? You don't have to do that, right? But it's like give it some thought, right? And it's a nice touch, right? At the end of the day, if you have happy tenants, they're less likely to move, and then there's less disruption in your life, right? Yeah, just take. Brian, what do you think? What do you think of Christmas gifts? Do you do that? uh, I do. um, I don't do Christmas gifts unless they have children. A gift card for Toys R Us if they have children, and anytime I inconvenience them, you know, to come do an inspection or if I have an appraisal at the property. I'll get them a gift card. Um, you know, I, I try and keep my relationships with my tenants um, as business, but at the same time, I think I go a little bit above and beyond, which I think uh, resonates with them. And like you said, that it'll, I think it makes a difference in the long-term game, for sure. Yeah, Just absolutely. those small gestures, right? I know uh, there's an investor in, I think he is in St. Catharines, and he's got a couple student rentals. And every time he goes over to do an inspection... He shows up with pizza. He's like, hey, guys, how's it going? Here's pizza. And they're like, oh, that's awesome, right? Well, it's $20 for him to buy a couple pizzas, right? And, you know, the dividends that he gets, um, you know, far outweigh, you know, the cost of the pizza, right? So just little things like that, right? And, again, like, I mean, you know, uh, you know, it's going to help you in the long run, right? But, hey, if you don't want to buy pizza, I mean, don't buy beer, right? <laughs> That's a silly idea for students. Yeah. Just, just pizza. Just buy pizza. Just pizza. Root beer. It can be pizza, pizza, too. The students don't care. Yeah, they don't. They really don't care. Cardboard. All right, step 12. Last but not least, this is probably the one that everyone frets about. Yeah, the tenant move out and the landlord and the tenant board. Most people believe it's just the tenant board. Believe it or not, it is the landlord and tenant board. <laughs> Um, so notice and forms, um, man, 
this could this could take a while uh, notice some forms there's certain forms that you have to issue out at certain times these are things you should read about and you should study them a little bit so that you know what forms to be issuing at what times because there is a bit of a, a systematic guide to this um, it's not I don't find it super kook, uh, cookie cutter cookie cutter um, but uh, there's definitely notices you need to be aware of um, and uh, yeah, I, I think you just really need to know this stuff, and this is something you need to review. I don't know if you agree, Jay. I think the biggest thing with this, Brian, like, I mean, first and foremost, we're not paralegals. I mean, Brian and I both watch a lot of suits, but we're not lawyers or paralegals or anything like that. So, um, But it's important to find a good paralegal because at some point you are going to end up at the landlord-tenant board, and I hope it's not soon. But at some point, you're going to have to, whether it's for an issue with regards to non- non-payment of rent or whether it's with regards to um, you know disruption of the property or what have you. But you need to know the appropriate forms to use. You need to know how to serve those forms, because if they're served improperly, the whole matter gets thrown out, and you have to start over from scratch. So we do, we do a bit of a boot camp class out uh, as part of the Niagara REI, um, so we go over it a little bit more in, in the class, but uh, it's important to do your due diligence, do your homework with regards to the landlord-tenant board and the appropriate forms and how to serve those. And if you're ever in doubt, go find yourself a uh, qualified paralegal to help you. It is worth the cost. Absolutely. And then do you want to just talk about uh, you know, rent and raising rent and, and what that looks like, Brian? Yeah, so raising rent is something everybody should do with any of their properties. Again, this is a business, and when it comes time that rent increases, there's the annual rent guideline increases that the uh, that the Ontario government puts out, and you have certain increases of what you can actually increase the rent by um, in the past, and you can go back and look at the past rent increases, but there must be 60 days written notice Oh, no, that's vacate. Sorry, it's 90 days, isn't it, Jay? 90 days. Uh, it's actually 90 days, yeah. yeah 90 it's actually days, 90 days. 90 days written notice for any rental increase. So 2018, we had a 1.8% increase. That doesn't sound like very much, but if somebody's paying you fifteen or $1,600 and you can get another 20 to $30 out of them every year, you really should take advantage of that because these rental increases do not actually mimic the cost of inflation. <laughs> So you need to stay on top of these things and make the increases when you can. I think the biggest thing is if you've missed a couple of years, you can't go back and retroactively add that in. No. So you either you either raise it every year or you don't. And yeah. if you don't, you're going to get caught behind. Um, and it's harder and harder to catch up. And if you ever want to sell the property and you have a good long-term tenant, guess what? It's going to make it harder to sell if they have ex- extremely low rent. For sure. So I think, Brian, we've successfully uh, scared everyone in terms of, uh, you know, yeah. uh, managing their properties. Good job. Thank Congrats. You. I hear crickets now. Um, so let me leave it with a, just a couple of things that I just want to kind of talk to talk to everyone about. I mean, Brian and I, when we first started, we didn't know all of this stuff either. So we learned on, uh, along the way. So what I always tell people is that, you know, should you, you know, people always ask, well, what do you think? Should I, should I do it myself? Should I self-manage or should I hire a property manager? Well, the choice is entirely up to you, right? And I always ask, uh, you know, but I always ask people, I've got a list of uh, six questions that I like to ask people. 
So I'll just kind of walk you through them, right? So the first question I usually ask them, I'm like, do you have a good understanding of the Residential Tenancies Act? So we just talked about, you know, the Landlord-Tenant Board and the appropriate forms that you're going to, you know, fill out and serve and all that. Do you know how that works? And the second question I like to ask is that, are you able to follow policies and procedures? Property management is a series of procedures. It's, uh, systemized, it's systemizing the process one by one. So if you're good at putting together policies and procedures and, and following those policies and procedures, then, you know, you could do well at, at uh, managing your own property. Number three, this one's my favorite. How do you feel about giving your tenants your cell phone number? And this is like I get the best reaction, right? People tend to get a little squirrely, right? Because yeah. they're not only going to call, they're also going to text, right? <laughs> yeah. Even, um, if you, even if you try and tell them that this is a call-only cell phone. Yeah, exactly, text. right? I've tried it. They text, I've tried text it. Text a landline, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, number four, what happens if you're on vacation? How you handle issues that arise on vacation? This always happens to us when we're away. Yeah, so vacation's not call. the same. It's not the no, same. No, exactly, because you, you have to have a plan in place, right? Yep, absolutely. Number, f- number uh, five, are you comfortable with dealing with trades? Dealing with trades is a very unique experience. You have to be very prescri- prescriptive with them in terms of really putting together things. So it's like you need to know how to deal with trades and you need to know how to, how to manage them. Yeah. Last but not least, the most important one, you have to ask yourself this question. Know, what's your time worth to you? So with that, that's kind of our boot camp, right? And as, as Brian mentioned, like, you know, we started our own property management company a couple of years ago. And I mean, we did it just, you know, for the, for the reason was, you know, people, people started asking us, they're like, you know, what's, you know, who are you guys using? Why do you guys not have issues? And, and really we kind of got into it by accident. So, um, you know, so we wanted to put together a bit of a boot camp for you tonight to kind of set you up for success, whether you whether you manage your own property, whether you get someone else to manage it. Um, the choice is entirely up to you. But go through those six questions that we just talked about and ask yourself those questions. And if you're comfortable with doing it, then great. You should definitely manage your own property. And if you're not and you need some help, you know, our, pro- our, our company works out of the Hamilton and Niagara areas. We're called Welcome Home Management. And our shameless plug, Brian. Yep. Um, if sure you're interested is. in learning more, you can just check out our website, welcomehomepm.ca. Yep, and if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to Jay or myself anytime, and we will uh, gladly help you out. Yeah, absolutely. We had lots of fun doing this, so look forward to hearing with you. Keep keep uh, keep tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. All right, take care. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. It's Brian Fitzgerald here from the Real Estate Investors Lounge. We hope you're enjoying the content and the guests that we're having on the show. We love doing this podcast and we love helping investors share their story with you guys. In order for us to gain traction and get more awesome guests, we hope you'll take the time to give us a five-star rating and a great review on whatever platform you're listening from. From all of us at The Real Podcast, thanks for listening. 